Man, Zach De La Roca was a big fan of coming through stereo systems. <laughs> he loved coming through stereo systems. Most yeah. of what Rage did was come through stereo systems. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Are you recording? Hold on a second now. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Rage play the DNC in 2000? That must have that must have been the last straw for him. <laughs> I don't get down with the electoral politics. Ah, oh, son, if you find me at the ballot box, I'll be fucking dead there. <laughs> fucking, uh... Like, I feel like... I feel like I'm recording now, I'm sorry. Yeah. Hold on a second. Damn it, no, I'm not. If you vote third party, you're giving your vote away. <laughs> well, I'm here to say... Cent- you- okay, this is a new entry into our lore. Centrist Zach De La Roca. <laughs> Okay. All right. Here we go, baby. <laughs> um yeah, okay. All right. Uh they say 5,000 votes was all the margin between Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Some fishy things happening up in Michigan. <laughs> Minnesota, Wisconsin, and the kids at Appalachia <laughs> coming at you, coming through your stereo. Yeah, coming at you in Appalachia. We got coming this. Coming at you in Appalachia. Amy Fuck McGrath, it. she dropping bomb tracks. She dropping bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, I'm trying to get the De La Roca voice. He's got that growl and that certain cadence. Uh, what would he be like? Uh, <clears throat> well, if you don't donate your money now to the McGrath campaign. Yeah, he's got like a sort of whispering like, to, yeah, to the McGrath campaign. And then he would be like, then he would be like, um, um, the latest polling out from Ditch Mitch says she's just two points behind. <laughs> this is me bringing that style and putting it in ya. Putting it in your mind. Putting it in your mind. <laughs> oh, God oh. damn it. This is the worst one yet. <laughs> Messing with voting polls. <laughs> What was it like? What was a uh, <sighs> sort of uh, like a cause du jour of the '90s when they were out and big? But uh, they like, were like—I don't know—they were like really big into like Leonard Peltier and like Mumia Abu-Jamal and that kind of stuff. But like, what's something that like we also too don't believe in? We can make fun of. <laughs> well, I feel like a symbol of the '90s was World Trade. Um, organization remember they had those big uh riots protests and riots in like seattle in 1999 remember yeah yeah and like all the old heads i talked to are like i've been at a few like organizing workshops or whatever who were like who who will uh throw that card out there like yeah i was at seattle in 99 (laughs) cool that's like a very like like there's a there's a type of Gen Xer and this is no shade to the Gen Xers. I I don't want to yeah, I don't want to I don't want to be one of those generationalist dudes cuz that shit's corny. But there is a certain Gen Xer that's like very Seattle, very Portland, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like into like 90s style activism, favorite bands Pavement, that kind of shit. Yeah. I'm sure this is the guy you speak of, or the person you speak of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the World Trade protest was like their fucking water, uh, uh, Woodstock, in a way. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I thought you were going to say their Waterloo. <laughs> <laughs> I was for a second. I got like my <laughs> allegories <laughs> mixed up. 
<laughs> well, that too. Yeah, I don't know. I have I have met a few people though. That, I mean, and that's cool. If you were there, you're listening to this, and you hold on to that. That's cool. I I think that's cool. I mean, hell, I rode my bike down to Occupy in Austin in 2011. I remember talking to my buddy Eric on the phone and being like, "This might really be it, man. The, this might really be the revolution." <laughs> oh man, how many times have we said that in our lives? I would do a montage like cut of every time like just young us saying this is it man this is where it all turns around this is it it's like the climate march Tom sex this is where it all turns <laughs> man Jesus you remember I won't say their name but you remember that person a certain person from Whitesburg that told the president of Ireland they couldn't march with them because <laughs> this was a highly negotiated space for like frontline communities dude that's baller shit. That's the most baller shit I've ever heard. <laughs> President of Ireland, who I think was like pretty good, I guess maybe, or you know, comparatively, I know nothing about Irish politics and I, I to think nothing. she, I, I, if I'm, I might have be having the wrong one, but I'm pretty sure it was the one who like legalized abortion. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah, and then, then, yeah, then some fucking self righteous. Nub nuts says, "No, you can't march with us." Like, like, what movement exists where you don't like let well-intentioned people march? Join your march? You know what I mean? It's so stupid. Uh, yeah, it would. It did seem unnecessary. That was the thing. It was just unnecessarily. It's just chauvinism. At that yeah, it's point. just like this is Ireland. This isn't the fucking UK or some imperial power. This is a colonized state. <laughs> a colonized people. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like you had. Yeah, it's not like you had fucking uh, George W. down there to march with you. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty big difference. But it was pretty. It was pretty funny though. Um, no, Miss President of Ireland, <laughs> this is for Appalachia. We're coming at you with the climate march. <laughs> That's Zach De La Roca, who they did let march with them. They did. Fucked up double standard. Honestly. Yeah, pretty fucked up. I've been say I've been saying this. It was centrist Zach De La Roca. <laughs> they let Marshall <laughs> not not the real one. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh. Well, what's well, going on this week? Well, we got a lot going on this week. Um. So um, let's start from the most microscopic level. I tell you what's going on in Whitesburg. Um, I was walking downtown a few days ago and I ran into Ben and Mike in front of the record store and they, they told me they had just opened up a Savoy. You know that band Savoy Brown? Savoy the, Brown, yeah. They're yeah, one that, of Rerun's favorite bands. Yes, yeah. They uh, Someone had brought in a record, a Savoy Brown record, in it, and it had a bag of weed in it from the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it had something on it that denoted what year it was. It really literally was from, like, 1974 or 5 or something like that. God. Did y'all, did they smoke it? <laughs> no. What What would that be like, even? I, I don't know, man. I hear the grass in the 70s was a lot more mild. I hear it was not as. <laughs> it's like mild 70s pot. And now it's also more than 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Um, it seems, I mean, like, interesting shit is always happening in that building. I think that building itself in downtown Whitesburg, that corner building that Roundabout Records is now in, I think it is a portal to some, you know what I mean? It has a very portal-like. there, man. It, yes, it's a it's a it's an area where the sort of veil is thinner. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You step outside back onto the street, less so. You step in. Yeah, you're transported. That's right. That's true. That's right. Um, God, it's a, it just seemed to me very apt, very okay. I, I need desperately a follow up on this. <laughs> okay. Hell, I, I may volunteer. Would you put 50-something euro pot in your lungs? I probably would, yeah. Why do I keep calling it pot? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, dude, did you see that story a few days ago? Um, it wasn't a story. Or maybe, I don't know. It was just one of those, it was like on one of those like science Twitter pages that was like, oh, this is pretty cool. It was like a mummy from 2500 BC and she had had breast cancer and she had like a, she had tattoos all over her. Oh yeah, I did see that. Yeah, And yeah. she had like a little canister around her neck with cannabis in it. So, I mean, it would be interesting to know because in my mind, I've always kind of thought as marijuana getting like, it's like a spectrum, right? It's really strong now. It's stronger than it's ever been now, right? And so every preceding marijuana is just weaker. So yeah. was two was we twenty five hundred years ago? I bet it was just, just piss weak. <laughs> just like like they probably thought it was like the end all be all. That was just garbage. The mids of mids of mids. Okay. Also, I'm gonna just say a little theory. I have a little theory about this. That is not a mummy from twenty five hundred years ago. Why you say that, that is somebody that probably took place in those nineties protests in Seattle. <laughs> That like also made their money in the dot com boom out there, but it was like one of those like kind of rich hippies. Yeah. And like tragically developed breast cancer and decided to pony up to be buried in and mummified and buried in a sarcophagus. Absolutely. That was twenty five <laughs> or twenty five thousand years or however old. Dude, that's an and interesting. And so like they open it up and they're like, Oh shit. That is going to be a startup idea. Once they realize they can't once once it dawns on them that they're not immortal, they'll be like, okay, well, let's put us in a bog that mummifies our likenesses perfectly. Um, you will be, you will get to pay to be a bog, um, baby, bog mummy, a bog mummy, whatever they're fucking called. Yeah, I would pay to do that now. I wonder if you could mummify yourself now while like, you're living. Yeah, there, aren't there like monks that do that? Dude, there are. We talked like they sort of ease into the death process. Yes, yeah, there are. There, there. I think they're in Japan. They will quite literally become mummified while living. I forgot about that. They start pickling themselves. Yeah, it's like a gradual process. Imagine the dedication, dude. No one in America could do that. Like no, no, there is not a single. American. Well, intentionally, anyways. That's I mean, there not, might be not... some guys in the hollers around here who are mummified. <laughs> well, that's not their intention, but they right. are. You know, they're pickled. Yeah, they're picked. <laughs> not, not for any sort of religious practice or purpose or anything like that. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh... Buddhist meditation mummy. Let me see. Did we talk about this on the show? Um, Sokushinbutsu. Shokinsubutsu. We did, we did talk about this on the show, I believe. Um, absolutely. Just the dedication. It's like lighting yourself on fire, you know? <laughs> I'll also cover uh, my Centrist Sac de la Roca. Also, uh, also cover. <laughs> but, but, no, but that, the Centrist Sac de la Roca uh, version of that would be just like uh, the Dalai Lama yeah. on the front. Just like praying, no, not setting themselves on fire or anything. Yeah, just... dude, it, quite literally. <laughs> there is an alternate universe. Where rage was like a rad, like like a radical centrist man. Oh <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Two years and we gotta kick him off the welfare <laughs> list. I'm coming at you, All off. <laughs> <laughs> welfare to work. That's the way to be. We gonna midterm these Republicans into next century. <laughs> You get it because it's 1999 yeah. What about the good ones? <laughs> Don't you want to not punish the good ones? <laughs> we can't punish the good ones for a few bad apples. Oh my god. 
So I say to you, go to the voting booth and take off your shackles. Because <laughs> that's where it happens. Oh, my fucking God. Uh, well, I mean, somebody on board with Sac De La Roca, centrist Sac De La Roca's movement is Hollywood star Matthew McConaughey, who said this week on the Russell Brand program that we need to be aggressively centrist in this country. <laughs> that the far left has gotten out of hand, and the far right is misunderstands some things, but that if we could just be aggressively centrist, that's when the tide's going to turn. I agree. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. I've been thinking about this because Matthew McConaughey perfectly embodies a very specific political niche in this country that is probably expressed in no better form or location than the television show Friday Night Lights. It is, it is, um, you know, it supports all of the opportunities that this country offers people just the sort of most watered down, you know, Vegas opportunities like racial equality that it doesn't actually commit itself to, you know, for example. Um, yeah, you're right. 100%. If he would have never gotten cast, he would be like a high school football coach in Colleen, Texas right now. <laughs> exactly. Watch it. I have. So right now I'm rewatching Friday night lights, but I've really been thinking about how, we talk a lot about <clears throat> small business owners as petty tyrants. Right. But think about the, the petty tyrant you have to be to be a high school assistant football coach. And there, now, think of, now, now think about the petty tyrant you would have to be to be a junior high school fo- assistant football coach. <laughs> there, let me tell you something, man. There is perhaps, there's perhaps no more ignoble calling than a guy that gets a payday to like call like thirteen year old boys pussies and queers, <laughs> like that's your and that's your job. You know what I mean? That's your job. I mean, yeah. some guys do it for volunteering. I mean, I'm assuming at the junior high level, like if you're an offensive coordinator at <laughs> junior high, you've got to be volunteering, I assume. But maybe not. Yeah. Maybe if it's because the premise of that show, the premise of Friday Night Lights. Is that Coach Taylor, played by... What's the guy's name that plays Coach Taylor? Kyle... Uh, is it... No, uh, what's his name? Matt... Matthew Fox? I think it's Kyle something. I was going to say Kyle Chandler or something. I've never... I've I've never watched Friday Night Lights, I have to confess. Like, sitting I never seriously watched it. Kyle Chandler. Kyle, Kyle Chandler, and then Matthew Fox is also in it, but he doesn't play Coach Taylor. Connie Britt and Coach Taylor. Yeah, you should watch it. Um, it's it's very much a product of a very specific kind of American propaganda. The same guy that made it made also made like Patriots Day about Boston bombing, you know, about the Boston Marathon bombing. Made uh, like um, um, made like five read- movies with Mark Wahlberg, the Deepwater Horizon movie. Like, <clears throat> yeah. Um. It's very Mark much. Wahlberg might have should have stopped making movies after Boogie Nights. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, no, he's got a few that I think I like, but <laughs> I can't remember what they are. Yeah, I do like some. I'm not going to be a cool guy. I like some Marky Mark schlock. Yeah, he's all right. It's not bad. He plays a good, like you know, crooked cop. Yeah. Well, so the premise of Friday Night Lights is Kyle Chandler and Connie Britt. Go from being junior high school football coach couple to high school football coach couple. Like, you don't, if you're Kyle Chandler, you're not coaching junior high football. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot about this show that's unrealistic, and that's the whole point. But it, it has made me want to dive into the kind of personality that would want to coach teenagers. In football. In basketball, well, let, tennis, these other things, they make a little more sense, but football. Uh, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing is that I, I witnessed that mentality firsthand about, God, I guess it's probably back in the summer or, or thereabouts. A guy that uh, I went to high school with that ended up uh, coaching uh, middle school football. Um. I think we might have talked about this on the show a little bit, but he posted some steals from 300. 
<laughs> you know where they where he takes his son to the ago or like for when Leonidas is in the agogi as a young boy, yeah, and shows him like getting the shit knocked out of him, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. He used that as justification for letting the boys play. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he was like, "Listen, we're turning our boys into little fucking pussies. We need to do like the Spartans in 300." And put them through the agogi, which the modern day equivalent of that is expose them to this airborne pathogen. Right. That could <laughs> fuck them up for life or kill them, possibly. <laughs> oh my fucking. <laughs> so, anyway, that's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of mentality that, uh, you know, the Friday Night Lights mentality, baby. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, um, I think that. McConaughey's recent comments kind of sum up the political worldview of a show like that. Where there is, I guess what I'm saying is that they believe there's a common ground. And if you watch the show Friday Night Lights, not a single character, every character in that show now, like Buddy Garrity, he would just be a MAGA chud who would spend all of his time on Facebook arguing with people about how Chevy Chase is a clone or whatever, you know? I mean, <laughs> like they don't believe in this common ground any, any more, anymore, not even in, like, sort of rhetoric theory, in theory or in any kind of abstraction either. Like, yeah. I mean, you see this, like, I, mean, I don't know. These people have been saying this for a while, but, like, this was a big thing that was kind of going around on Twitter this week that Rush Limbaugh said, like, <clears throat> the states were going to, the red states were going to secede, and this was all based on Texas launching this, like, attempt to contest the election. Like, Ken Paxson, Ke- Texas's attorney general, was has launched this, like, I don't know, what are they trying, do you know exactly what, they're trying to basically get the Electoral College to invalidate states like Pennsylvania. And- I think that's that's their, their goal. They're going, but you know what I mean, but here's the thing about that, though, man. The fucking Democrats can't say shit about that. Do you remember that Lincoln Project-esque uh, push like to get the electors not to elect Trump after the Clinton Trump race. Yeah, <laughs> what was that called? Um, like they had like a five hundred one c three and all that kind of stuff, and they and it was called it was called the, it, no, it had the word Hamilton in it. It was good. It was like the Hamilton. It's like the electors. Hamilton Project or something like that. No, they're I think they're they're called like the Hamilton. Oh fuck! I don't the know. Hamilton electors. <laughs> is that what it is? Let's see, electors, yeah, Hamilton electors, yeah, yeah, from November 21st, 2016, meet the Hamilton electors, hoping for an electoral college revolt. So, honestly, like, (laughs) I ain't trying to hear shit from the Democrats that are roasting this as some sort of coup, because the Democrats tried to pull off their own coup. (laughs) It's only a coup if they, like, don't like you. Like, uh, it's just like justice prevailing if like they do like you yeah you went to the electoral college i'm here to drop some knowledge yeah i'm here to drop some, some knowledge you hamilton elect you hamilton you can't even <laughs> can't even think for yourself <laughs> hannah <laughs> Hamilton, I was, Hamilton elect is Hannibal Lecter on them fucking Republicans <laughs> in 2016. They got uh, you brainwashed. They got you brainwashed and they eating your spleen. <laughs> it's very, yeah, I feel Zach De La Roca is very like, just like gruff Beastie Boys. Yeah. Like, he's a good rapper now. Like, I, he, he's... I, He's had some good spots on the run of the Jewels albums, I'll say that. Dude, I I mean I when I was in seventh grade, I remember being at a house party. You know when you're in seventh grade, you want everybody to think you're cool. I remember being yeah. at a seventh grade house party and MTV was on at the house party and like Limp Biscuit was on. And I remember telling everybody, like, I think rap metal is the best. I, I think rap yeah, rap rock is the best genre of music, and I well, thought you were being—you were being aggressively centrist, though. <laughs> yeah, I was. You thought you thought that rock had lost its way and rap had lost its way, but when they brought them together, yeah, I literally thought it was the Platonic ideal of music, like the best combination of all the best things in music. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I will say this. 
proudly that I never got too far down into it. I did really? like Rage a little bit. Yeah, I did like Rage a little bit, but uh, man, Rage is great. I remember around <laughs> that same time, my cousin Shelley lived in Lexington, and you couldn't really get parental advisory CDs in rural America because Walmart was like the only place you could buy them. And I was like, "Hey, Shelley, here's two things I want. I want." Masterpiece MP The Last Dawn album and I want Eminem's the Slim Shady LP and she went she bought me Masterpiece and, and like sent me Masterpiece but she was like I don't think I can send you Eminem I was like why not she's like well I went to buy it and like the clerk at the Sam Goody or whatever it was the CD store said that it was like the most disgusting like <laughs> Explicit content. And I was like, that's why I want it. That's why. <laughs> and then she ended up she ended up sending it to me, like being like a cool older cousin, like sending it yeah. to me. And I was so cool because I'd had the M and M C D and I'd take it to like school like middle school or whatever and play it. And like people would like, Oh man, that shit is raw, man. He's like talking about like drinking slurpees and having herpes and whatever. <laughs> and we just thought that like this was like the most forbidden shit, man. It was the same in our town. You had Walmart, but when I was like in seventh grade, we got a Hastings, which is um, oh yeah, it was a Hastings superstore, and Hastings was tight because they would throw away their porno mags, and so if you wanted to go dumpster diving, you could get the porno mags. <laughs> Dog. <laughs> You and your boys dumpster diving for hustlers. Dude, you don't understand. This was a different time. This was pre-streaming. Like risking pre- getting bacterial meningitis <laughs> so you could like. For, oh, man, for a I copy of that. Ass Man. I wanted to see a copy of Ass Man. And so. <laughs> I just imagine young Terrence like going in and coming up and you've got like shit all over you. Like fucking like looks like somebody's thrown up on you it's just like all those like fucking like well i guess you wouldn't be like dumpster diving at like a restaurant or something where you'd have like all like the well like a grease like you have like 12 day old wendy's chili and like grease on you but you you come up with like a fucking soiled copy of ass man (laughs) (laughs) you emerge victorious and your boys make you walk home because you're not getting in the car like that like i all I'm saying is that you at in those days, I'm a little bit older than some of the audience, so they may think that this is incredibly lame. But this would have been in maybe 2002, 2003. I mean, those were dark those were darker times. You could not just dial something up. That's true. <clears throat> this is what kids are missing out on these days. Bonding. Male Bonding like that—that's what true male bonding is. <laughs> Man, digging through true. trash for porn. There's no, there's no opportunities for it because everything's at her fingertips. They just, Dude, I went yeah. to I went to great lengths to to score porn and stuff when I was like that age. You had to. I mean, yeah. you, I, dude. I remember watching physical copies of pornography up until I being in college. So like up until like 2009 or 10. I still remember having physical cop. I feel like because that's really when Pornhub's came on the scene and like sh- websites where you could stream it more regularly was probably in two thousand eight or nine or ten. But I was yeah. I remember having fucking multiple physical copies <laughs> as a young man. As <laughs> a, a young man. <laughs> oh shit! Oh man! All right. I have something I wanted to show you today, and <clears throat> it's really funny that we chose centrist Zach De La Roca to be this episode's sort of mascot or emblem, because the person I'm going to um, profile could be a, a centrist Zach De La Roca in another life. She missed her calling... Um, as a hype rapper for the hottest rap rock band this side of the um, World War II. But um, but she has definitely found her calling in another realm that both of us are very familiar with, and that's the nonprofit world. 
Okay. Um, so this is in New I'm York. I'm on Mag- pins and needles over here for the reveal. <laughs> this is in New York Magazine. I need to preface this before I start reading it with, I'm fully aware that half of the audience probably already has either read this or know who's, who this person is if they are in the activist scene. So please, I'm asking you, do not send me anything after this like, well, actually, this is what she's done and how she blah, 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 and here's a million articles. I don't care. I really she's don't. She's done more f- more for the movement than you ever have, you fucking piece <laughs> of shit. Or from the left, uh, this is what I get a lot, too. <clears throat> People who are on the left who send me the articles, like, uh, like I covered it in a way that wasn't the correct frame i understand this because plenty of people write about where i live and they think they have the an idea of what they're talking about but they really don't but the difference is is i usually just let it go unless it's jd vance yeah right right um (laughs) yeah we just (laughs) just let it slide man which i should just let it slide um i'm basically being a hypocrite now that i think about it Anyways, this is in (laughs) New York Magazine. The article is called On Behalf of the Plutocrats. Kathy Wilde's winding path from community organizer to head of the partnership for New York City. On the last Friday in September, two dozen protesters descended on the co-op 740 Park Avenue, laying crosses, small stars of David, and Islamic crescents on the grassy median in front of the building, each one symbolizing another thousand of New York's COVID dead. They chose this building, an imposing Art Deco behemoth known in the tabloids as the Tower of Power, because it is is, is home to the highest concentration of billionaires in the United States. Um, The protest was one of dozens that had sprung up in the city since June, when a reckoning with racism collided with the global pandemic that had left millions jobless in New York alone. The next day, the Democratic Socialist... Zach De La Roca inspired. Yes. The next day, the Democratic Socialists of America protested in front of Bloomberg's house, a few blocks away, and for weeks before that, there had been a series of loud marches and drum circles on the tonier streets of the Hamptons and in front of Jeff Bezos' Manhattan apartment. Um, uh, well, guess what? Jeff Bezos isn't even a resident of New York City. He doesn't even pay taxes here. So what are we talking about exactly? Kathy Wilde told me from her Brooklyn apartment this summer in one of the many conversations we've had over the course of the pandemic. Wilde is the president of the Partnership for New York City, which bills itself as a, quote, nonprofit organization whose members are the city's preeminent business leaders and employers of more than 1.5 million New Yorkers, and which aims to, quote, build bridges between the leaders of global industries and government. It was founded by David Rockefeller and in 17, 1979 and runs a $170 million fund for business development projects. Um, he, here are some of its members. Since Wilde joined 20 years ago, its membership has grown to include some of the richest people in New York, including J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, net worth $1.5 billion, hedge fund John Paulson, $4.2 billion, and Blackstone CEO... Steven Schwartzman, $19.7 billion. The partnership writes reports on how the city and state can best boost their economic prospects, lobbies lawmakers on issues ranging from mayoral control of schools to how to get more biotech businesses to move there, and regularly surveys the city's CEOs and what they need from local government. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Wild's affection for the 110 New York City CEOs, white shoe lawyers, tech entrepreneurs, Real estate magnates and other masters of the universe in the partnership is obvious. She calls them either my crowd or, without a hint of irony, captains of industry. And they love Wild right back. During one of several conversations we have had since the spring over the phone and at her Brooklyn apartment, Wild has inter- was interrupted by a knock on the door that turned out to be a delivery of Omaha Steaks, a thank you gift from a CEO for whom she had done a favor. She wouldn't say which CEO or what favorite it was. Dude, dude. <laughs> I got to just pause for one second. If you can be bought with some goddamn Omaha, Omaha steaks, steaks from steaks. some of the richest people on the face of the fucking planet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, Wild says she didn't join the partnership to lobby on behalf of CEOs. We are not a chamber of commerce, she says. I call us the anti-chamber of commerce. We are business working on behalf of the city. But what it means to work on behalf of the city has meant different things to her at different times. When she arrived in New York from Minnesota in the late 1960s, fresh off her time in Students for a Democratic Society at St. Olaf College, she was in SDS. <laughs> well, go figure. Uh-huh. Uh, um, she was a community organizer working to save Brooklyn's Sunset Park as it was slowly being gutted by disinvestment and white flight. Sunset Park, what time is it? It's time to recognize. It's time to represent. Did you, did you ever watch Sunset Park? No, I didn't. I thought you were doing centrist. <laughs> no, no. I was doing, uh, what's, uh, hold on a second. Um, time out. Time out, time out, time out. Oh, I was doing, uh, centrist Rhea Perlman. Oh. <laughs> From Cheers? Or wait, no, well, yeah, well, yeah, but also Sunset Park. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> Dan, Danny DeVito's uh, betrothed. Anyway, I see. Carry on. Um, she organized sit-ins, led protest marches in front of the city planning commission to prevent displacement, and hounded foundations and federal bureaucracies until they gave her enough money to start rebuilding the neighborhood. The head of the state's conservative party called her a communist, but she came to believe that government was slow and that power, true power lived not in City Hall, but in penthouses on Fifth Avenue and in the private offices of the city's biggest banks. Well, okay, what, okay. what would give you that indication? Okay, <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Was, okay, hold on a second. Let me get my bearings. Is this going to end? Just give me a little foreshadowing, or don't. Keep me on pins and needles if you need to. But is this going to end with her making some sort of contorted argument that, like, we actually need to be, like, in service to the wealthiest people in order to bring about the revolution or something? Man, it's... Like, is it that diseased? It's so great. It, that is so such an interesting idea that you posit there. Let's dive in and let's see what she believes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm along for the ride. Um, she came to believe that government was slow and that power, true power, lived not on City Hall but in penthouses on Fifth Avenue and in the private offices of the city's biggest banks. By the time Bloomberg took office as mayor, the one-time rabble-rouser for the working class had become a spokeswoman for the interests of Wall Street. There is no example as clear as wild, perhaps Mayor de Blasio included, of someone who, once upon a time, there c- could have been plucked from the front lines of protests like those this summer, but over the course of decades, <laughs> became a part of the establishment. And it is deeply embedded in Wilde's belief system by now that the ultra-rich are far more important to the health of the city than its liberal citizens acknowledge, employing millions of New Yorkers, underwriting social welfare programs that government will not, and footing the bill for half of the city's budget. I was just telling someone this morning, I probably shouldn't tell you who, but I'm a legislative leader in Albany, that I am like the lone defender of the billionaires at this point, she told me in July. To think we are going to get out of this problem de- by demonizing wealth, it is wrong. It is just the wrong solution. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Yeah, so uh, Wilde's perspective on the city's economic crisis is not just that billionaires and the companies they lead are misguided protest targets. She believes they are our best ticket out of all this. Over the course of her career, the city has weathered a series of calamities, the near bankruptcy of the 1970s, the overwhelming crime of the 1980s, the fear of the post-9-11 era, the Great Recession, and she has been in the room each time as the New York business elite committed to the city's future and partnered with elected officials to fund and support recovery plans. Okay. All right. A lot there. Um, But I want to pause there for just... I want to pause there for just a minute. Because basically what she has said is that she has been in the room... For every major urban, fiscal, social crisis in New York City since the 1970s. And and that that has been what has pulled the city through those crises. And it's fascinating because it 
shows that her and other people like her, true centrists, true Zach De La Roca centrists, they see crises as these totally just oh, natural, you know, they're just totally natural. They, they come in from, ex, they're exogenous. They come in from the outside and they happen to us. You know what I mean? These economic crises. It's not that the people she's in the room with caused these very crises. It's yeah. that they're the people who are left to pick everything up when everything is falling apart. And it's like, yeah, no fucking shit. I oh mean, my God. I, I, it's pointless to even dissect this woman, kind of, because she's. This is her job. Her job is whitewashing four billionaires, quite literally. I can't get a good read on if she ever really was a real radical, um, and she just completely sold her soul and is just, you know, has nothing. It's just a vegetable. Somebody with a net worth in, in the several billions with a B placated her with Omaha steaks. <laughs> I mean, if I'm gonna be, if I'm gonna be the errand boy of of the plutocracy class, <laughs> I better be getting more out of it than some goddamn freezer steaks. I later on, it like goes through um, her apartment. Her apartment is completely lackluster. She lives in a regular-ass place. Dude, she's doing this because she fully believes Dude, it. There, or either that, or there are people that, like, are addicted to access. That is also, yes, that is very... Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like they, right, It's man. not like... It's not like... And, I, you know, it's not like they're just doing it because of, like this somehow betters the movement or even like selfishly furthers their own career. It's just, they like the idea of being able to tell their friends that they're friends with Jeff Bezos. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's exactly right. Well, and they, I mean, they're hangers on, uh, in this case, she's of the lamest, worst kind. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But if you're going to be a hangers on man, be like a, you know, Jeff Bridges seems like a cool guy to be a hangers-on for. Do something like that. Be a guy who um, produces drugs, you know, who provides drugs for these people. Because at least you're, you know, you're contributing to their eventual downfall. (laughs) Be Jeff Bridges' weed guy. That's a good good niche. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. She has talked about um, how... They ha- Wild is uh, just as worrisome to Wild as the possibility that the business elites, surrounded by pitchforks and protests, might no longer feel they have a stake in the city. This city, she says, is not going to rebuild by itself. Before the pandemic, Wild had been considering retiring by the end of this year. She no longer thinks that's wise, given the precarious economic and political environment, <laughs> and has instead redoubled her efforts at persuading the city's new class of activists and liberal politicians to be less suspicious of their wealthiest neighbors. Her success in that mission, of course, will depend in large part on how convincingly she can explain her transformation from an outsider like one of them into the city's ultimate insider. Very, very interesting. Um, Very interesting. Um, But if you want to sort of dive into her... um, background a little bit to see how she got here she worked through she worked as like a community organ i don't even know what that means they said that about obama that he was a community organizer i mean does it mean anything motherfucker was like a he was like a community organizer like nathan hall's a coal miner you know what i mean (laughs) like he did it for like you know two weeks to shore up his uh street credentials and then after that it's like okay now i can just go be a law professor or whatever i was destined to do well i think the thing is is that you can be a community organizer i mean you can put the word organizer onto anything so for example you can organize a community's business leaders and that would make you a community organizer <laughs> i mean there's no class dimension to it right so it's just like i look at me i'm a community organizer literally <laughs> by by day and i couldn't organize a, a late night run to taco bell you know i mean <laughs> usually yeah, you're right it usually it just means renting out a space getting food in the space and some solo cups 
and sending out some invitations. I mean, and getting people to like you enough to show up. <laughs> yes, that's really a big one. You I mean, have in to... itself, it is kind of a talent, but it is funny that it's a it's it's a job and it's one that I have. <laughs> but regardless, that how do you make your sort of trajectory from? Uh, you know, doing voter registration drives and being part of SDS and whatever to all of a sudden you're in your unremarkable apartment <laughs> getting Omaha steaks from Jamie Dimon. <laughs> well, I mean, um, you have to be deep. I'm not mad at the hustle. What I'm saying is level up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're getting nothing out of this. Like at the end of the day, all you're really doing is sticking up for some people who would not hesitate for a second to fucking garrote you with a piano wire from the back seat of a car. <laughs> if you think they're going to show up to your funeral, you're crazy. What they're going to do is send flowers and Omaha steaks to your next of kin. Right, right. Well, I mean, I can fault the hustle here because if. Let's say for example that was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but go on. (laughs) I mean, this person is, you know, uh, very involved in how. Um, I don't know how we get indoctrinated with the idea that we need leaders to pull us out of crises, or we do need leaders. I'm sorry, I, I don't mean. I don't mean that across the board, but with that we need like billionaires and their resources. We do need their resources, that's for sure, but we don't need them individually. <laughs> that's really the thing. Like we don't need Jamie Dimon. If the world was rid of Jamie Dimon tomorrow, if the world was rid of this is the funny thing. If the world was rid of every one hundred and ten people on this partnership for New York, the world it would, would be, be markedly better. It would be a, a yes, immeasurably better. <laughs> yeah, leave your money behind you, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is kind of pivotal. I mean, in her life, this is the moment where she decides that she no longer wants to organize uh, protests and and in try to get the city to impose more taxes on the rich and keep more capital in the city uh, for everyone's benefit. This is the moment where she decides, no, no more. She, In the 70s, she had been working to at, at like a, a hospital to like prevent a meat market from being moved or something like that. I'm not you, making you know, this you, up. You know what, what I've got in, like, in my head, what I've imagined is that like she's like the Forrest Gump of like, like failed social movements, <laughs> like you know that comptroller's meeting that's like the subject of, yes. of uh, Adam of, Curtis, uh, Adam yeah. Curtis after normalization. Like in the background, <laughs> if you look at archival footage, she's there. She's like, there. She's like telling zooming. the comptroller, "Don't show up. It's fine. We'll yeah. we'll handle it." You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like like she's like the uh, like the angel of death for like social movements. <laughs> Jesus, dude, you're right. I mean, I think it's very funny. I'm not a psychiatrist, but if I was, I would point out the significance of meat here. Meat has come up twice. She got Omaha steaks, and she was f- fighting to prevent the move of a meat market. And and these are both pivotal things in her life and career. Something about meat there. I don't know. Didn't Tony Soprano have a meat thing? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. <clears throat> this is the moment. She had been working with John Zuccotti, who was deputy mayor and Brooklyn representative on the city planning commission, um, to prevent the moving of the meat market. Um, she said working with, they were, um, she said working with Zuccotti taught her this. I just found out er, 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 I just found out very early that protesting was maybe making a statement but it didn't get things fixed, she said. So that's when I figured out that there were people in power that wanted to make things work, that wanted to do the right thing, and that you could work with them. <clears throat> and so then she went on to work for a bank <laughs> as a community housing <laughs> specialist. <laughs> Listen, 
like basically what's happening here is that like I, I could see like Matthew McConaughey before he went on the Russell Brand program read this and yeah. was like she that's it <laughs> that's it some finally somebody's figured it out and then he's adopted this as his politics because as much as we like Matthew McConaughey we have to confront the fact that he is a uniquely dumb guy. <laughs> I was going to say, extremely stupid. <laughs> extremely talented. I, it's I don't. I, it's you know what's so weird is I don't understand how a guy like that can just so beautifully convey like a broad range of human experiences and emotions in such a powerful way, and then all that's up there is like a goddamn like half-eaten jar of applesauce with the crust around the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I was never my my impression of this guy is driving around the college campus I went to like trying to pick up chicks. <laughs> like that tracks. I mean Yeah, I I think for guys like McConaughey and for a lot of actors, really. Uh, they just want the noise to go down. They want shit to just calm down. Um, but the libs, they really think that things are going to calm down now, now that like Trump's out of office. They really do think this. It's really bizarre. And it's like, I, I'm getting a lot of signs that things are about to become much more intense. I mean, as they start trying to roll this vaccine out, I mean, you know, I was I was thinking about this the other night. We talk a lot about how COVID was the perfect storm for America, and that's why the numbers are so bad. I mean, it was like the perfect storm of having none other than Donald fucking Trump president while it happened, and also having decades and decades of neglect of public infrastructure and public health, and decades of, uh, you know, metabolizing politics in this very sort of cultural way that prevent people from caring for one another, wearing masks or anything like that. And uh, and then I was thinking about uh, how you've got just another element added onto this pile of Perfect Storm, which is the anti-vaxxer thing. Just that, like, this anti-vaxxer thing was floating around looking yeah. for a new home, and now it's found it. <laughs> it's just a perfect pollinated thing. It's, it's so crazy, man, because it's like... It's almost like... Or that guy in the Alanis Morissette song that waited his whole life to take the flight that crashed. Yeah. It's like we knew this pandemic was coming. The Pentagon knew about it in the Bush administration. You know what I mean? Like the Clint Klippenstein thing, you know? It's like that thing you sent me, dude. They had the fucking vaccine in February. <laughs> January. <laughs> January. Like we didn't even, I don't even know if we had like a diagnosed case. And China hasn't had like, you know, we didn't know much about what was happening in China at that point. It was only two weeks old. A little over two weeks old. We had the vaccine. It's which is like, crazy. yeah, obviously you don't want to like roll it out by Valentine's Day, but god damn. We had the tools the whole along to stave this off and we didn't. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's um it's pretty crazy. Um well that's another perfect storm element to it. Just like the slow glacial pace of getting like vaccine drugs there. I mean like as the article you sent me pointed out, it's in New York Magazine. I think David Wallace Wells wrote it. It was basically like, um, as it David pointed Wallace out, David Wallace Wells—he's the same guy that wrote the like climate change like thing that everybody said was like sensationalist, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, like that, right? I like that kind of writing. <laughs> yeah, ever, ever, as he pointed out, they got hydroxychloroquine or whatever, fucking approved, FDA approved or whatever, in like two weeks. I mean. <laughs> It's just a, it's a perfect storm of all these various things. I mean, and that's the that's I don't know. I guess that's the crazy thing about history. Sometimes you just have perfect storms. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes all the social forces just convene upon you in such a way <laughs> to make a uniquely, spectacularly bad. It, or good. I mean, you could argue it. That's how the argue. That's how the French Revolution went. Just a perfect storm to create something that was starting to go pretty good and then went bad. But in our case, it's gone really fucking bad. It's not. It's not been great. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Um, well, back to uh, Kathy Wilde. Um, so let's fast forward to the 90s, 2000s. She gets hired on as a partnership. She works her way up through the banking world, through the financial sector. Um, you know, uh, wheeling and dealing, whining and dining, the rock people like the Rockefellers. Uh, rock David Rockefeller gets her added onto this nonprofit partnership for New York City, whatever. Um, and uh, and she's arrived. Um, and so the first thing that she gets to work doing, she tightens up the membership of the already pretty stupid nonprofit partnership for New York. It's now a collection of bank CEOs, venture capitalists, fashion entrepreneurs, media magazines, including Vox Media, and of and a few months ago, Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> what a, what a get! What a get! Um, she uh, let's see. Um, but these days we're a long way from the New York of Mayor Bloomberg, who called the city a luxury product. If there is a baleful force in the city, as was Wild sees it. It is not her crowd, but all those who march on Bezos' house or Gracie Mansion or who show up to disrupt city council hearings. The people with the great political pull are not the business community. It's the activists, except they don't have any solutions, she said. They stopped from building a campus. Uh, they stopped Amazon from building a campus here. They won't let the city grow, and they call to defund the police and tax businesses and the rich. <laughs> Kathy, I got to just call into question. What is it that you believe in? <laughs> what, 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 yeah, what? That's the that's the funny thing to me about this. It's like, okay, you say this fucking works. You say that you can get these people to, well, make it fucking work. Three hundred thousand people are dead, or in yeah. your city alone, probably like fucking fifty thousand or some shit. Oh my god, I hate this person. I don't. I don't know. It, that's the thing that. That's the thing that pisses me off so fucking bad about people like this, and I put resource generation in the same goddamn category, because it's like all they talk about is how much their wealth could go to fix things, and it's like motherfucker. But it never fix things. But it never does. It never fucking does. The best. You know what I'd like to see one of these fucking assholes do just one time in their life say. Here's twenty billion dollars and point it at something that that's not like some fucking stupid ass fucking. (laughs) <laughs> whatever like, like and i'm not even saying that's going to work like I, I don't feel like that's i don't think you can like have like rely on the the largesse of like the fucking billionaire class but like give us some proof of fucking concept not like yeah uh, i'm gonna give you uh 160 different nonprofits, 300 dollars <laughs> a year for the next 365 years <laughs> or whatever and all those nonprofits don't do shit but fucking uh you know I don't know what they do. No, dude, <laughs> really. dude, dude, dude. This is the thing. This is this is exactly it. And this is why, again, why it pisses the why resource generation pisses me off so fucking bad is that like, if you truly believe this, if you did truly believe it, what you would do is you would create a shell corporation nonprofit, an LLC nonprofit, five hundred one c three or whatever. You would put $10 million in it that apparently you all fucking have because you all have trust funds or you work for Jamie Dimon or whatever. Put $10 million into that 501c3 and all that 501c3 does is it goes to a fucking burnt out husk, hollowed out husk in fucking rust belt post-industrial wasteland middle west, uh, midwest, and then give every single person in the community under... Making under like seventy five thousand a year or whatever, like a hundred thousand dollars or however the fuck much you give to these goddamn pro- nonprofits, like that would literally. I know we've made this point before, but what the fuck? Why put it in this pretense of like, no, uh, we can put, we'll do it through nonprofits. I'll tell you uh, why. That, no, it's you fucking don't tax understand how th- you don't understand how things work, man. You don't understand. There's a way to do things and not things. It's like motherfucker. Y'all, your boys, uh, Elon Musk talking about going fucking Mars and building a colony, and you telling me you can't go alleviate poverty in fucking Akron, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Suck my fucking dick and go to hell. I mean, it's it's partially because, it's several reasons. It's partially because, A, non, putting all this money through nonprofits and banks, community development programs, chambers of commerce, and all that shit... Is a tax shelter. That's the first thing. But the second That's thing, the, first. the sec, the second thing, and I think this is the most important one, and it's why 
you hardly will never see any wealthy person doing this, is that it would actually give people resources to probably mount some kind of challenge. You know what I'm saying? Like they right. they can't count they can't countenance the idea of people being empowered in any way. No. And this is this is the fundamental building block of this woman's ideology. And right. it's kind of the honestly, if you really peel it back enough, this is the building block of Elizabeth Warren's ideology as well. The the idea is just um you need, you know, sort of technocratic experts who know what to do with this stuff, um, or or benevolent uh, rich people. I mean, I guess she was pretty antagonist. Or maybe people would say that's not fair for me, or, or whatever. But I do think that at root, it is a at the that at root, its very basic philosophy is that all the people can't be empowered to make decisions, right? Like right. N- only a small portion of the population should be allowed. Any kind of any any proximity to the lever, levers of resource distribution and allocation and power. I think that that is really the fundamental thing. That like right. change has to come down from on top rather than you know from below. Right. <clears throat> right. Well, anyways, um, let's get to the end here. Um, so she's got a few. She's got a few pretty good quotes in here, and I'll just since we're getting close to the end my job has given me access to people who make a difference if you organize them you can do something about lots of these issues <laughs> she says when asked how a career championing the interest of the one percent could simultaneously be oriented toward the dispossessed there are leaders in the business community who when they put their resources to good purpose can exercise enormous power and can take care of things very quickly um, theoretically, this is exactly the time when such resources and expertise could be especially useful, but as the city and state face massive budget deficits and increasing calls to plug the gap by taxing the rich, Wilde's group has been mostly silent. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, basically, it's just her... It's basically just her whining about the fact that AOC and other people's suggestions for digging our way out of the, the shit is taxing the rich they and so yeah we're cutting off her lifeline her cutting off her uh plug for omaha steak so (laughs) (laughs) fucking worthless dumbass yep 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 um but anyways um anyway that's kathy wild i'm sure many of you are already familiar with her um but uh you know, I'm sure your your community has a Kathy Wild. I know mine does. Um, the Kathy Wild in my community is a very specific archetype who says that any kind of organizing, let's say, uh, along a sort of class or racial axis is bad because it will scare away rich people. That is, uh, you, there are many people like this, especially here in Appalachia, who are, are basically like, no, we didn't, no, we don't want any kind of uh, trouble at the city councils. And other, we have to make our business attractive for rich people. We need our rich <laughs> benefactors to be nice to us, give us crumbs for ill-defined uh, projects that we can like write about in the national media and say, oh, we're turning the tide here by... Uh, you know, look at these these people making their own pizzas. Isn't that great? <laughs> these people are making their own burritos and smoothies. Oh man. Oh uh, well. So, anyways, that's uh, that's that's the show for the week. You got Centris Dak De La Rocha coming at you though. So, with another bomb track. With another fucking bomb track, baby. Um. Let's see. Before we go, I feel like there's a few things I need to plug. Uh, Patreon. <clears throat> go to the Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Party. Go check that out. Um, go check out... This week I went on this podcast called Hoot and Holler, which is like a podcast like ours, but in the Ozarks. And we had a pretty fun time hanging out. So go check that out. And um, is there anything else, Tom? Do you have anything that you'd like to 
that you'd like to plug? What do I have to plug? I don't have anything to plug. Some of those that work. Some of those that work horses. Some of those that some of those that ride horses are the same that. Oh yeah, I do have uh, resources. My, uh, um, sort of uh, what Renegades of Funk, my uh, band's new record is out there. So <laughs> you can get it on seven inch, twelve inch. It's also. Uh, yeah, well, streaming isn't around because it's 1998. But this this produ- this um, produces an interesting question: What would be on Renegades of Funk? No, if- no, no! It wouldn't be called Renegades of Funk. It would be called uh, a semblance of funk. <laughs> Just go buy the record. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, we will talk to you next time. Have a good one.